you or someone you love needs help for an addiction, where do you turn? Foundations Recovery Network offers individualized treatment for the whole person. Our goal goes beyond short-term sobriety. We address substance abuse and co-occurring mental health issues together, providing a firm foundation for long-term recovery. The first step is often the hardest, but we're here with a free assessment, insurance information, and treatment options. Our confidential helpline is available 24-7, so call 877-714-1318 and discover the Foundation's Recovery Network difference today. What up, Sober Guy family? Thank you for tuning in today, and thanks to humans for bringing us in. And as always, thank you for supporting the show. This is Seth Manser, and you're listening to the Tuesday episode of Sober Guy Radio. On today's episode, I'm talking with Kyle Capel. Kyle is an expert on family dynamics, particularly on the relationships between mothers and drug users. Kyle is also the marketing director for Simple Path Recovery in Papano Beach, Florida. So his own experience uh, recovering from opioid abuse serves as an inspiration in his tireless pursuit to help others on their own journey. But before we uh, get to Kyle, be sure to check us out at thatsoberguy.com. There's a bunch of resources there. You could find all of our past episodes. You could also get information on upcoming live shows and events. Also, like Shane mentioned uh, last week, we will be hosting our second live show October 18th at 7 p.m. at Journey Coffee right here in Vacaville, California. So if you're in the Vacaville area or you want to fly out, come have some coffee with us. It's a, it's a free event. Uh, we're going to talk about getting out in the community and what that looks like. So we would love to have you come out and join us. Also, uh, one last thing, if you are in Winters or Yellow County, anywhere around there, on Monday nights, there's a brand new refuge recovery meeting. Uh, it's at 7.30 to 8.30 at Seva Space Yoga, 22 Main Street, Winters, California. We'd love to see you come out, hang out. Like I said, brand new, brand new meeting there. So more information on that, you could go to sevaspacewinters.com or you could also go to refugerecovery.org. Or you could even hit me up. Uh, you could email me, Seth, at thatsoberguy.com if you have any information uh, regarding either of those events. So what's up, Kyle, man? How you doing tonight? Man, I'm doing well. You know, like I always say, it's another beautiful day in paradise, man. How about you? Oh, man, living the dream. Um, I always, you know, I, I get a lot of laughs. You know, people ask me, you know, what's up, Seth? How you doing right now? And it's always um, awesome or amazing, right? So present moment to me is always the best moment to be in. So I, I really try, really try and live that. So uh, right now, Kyle, like I tell everyone else, man, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Yes, sir. So, Kyle, before, um, you know, we get into kind of what you're doing now, I want to talk about, um, I want you to just kind of dive into your story and tell us about your, your own experience, kind of your journey through um, addiction, recovery, and leading up to, to what you're doing today. So, take it away. Well, man, I tell you what, it's been, uh, it's been one hell of a journey. And, uh, you know, every year I look forward to more and more um, coming up on Friday. This Friday, I will on the twenty eighth. I will have eleven years. Wow, that's awesome! Which, which blows my mind because the longest time I ever had before at any attempt was well less than eleven days. Um, you know, I was definitely uh, one of the 
beginning people, I would say, of like what became and has become the opioid epidemic. Um, there was really nothing at the time, you know, it was like pre-Oxycontin um, when, when I started, man. And, you know, I was kind of addicted to the life of, you know, trying to fill that void of feeling the need to be popular, the need to fit in. So like my thing in the beginning was like, I always like to be uh, the party guy, you know, and that's what kind of got me involved to having access to stuff. And it just kind of went from there. Man, I, I mean, I, I'm from New Orleans, so I definitely started drinking at, at a younger age, you know, and it was a little more acceptable, you know, when, when I was a young kid growing up in New Orleans, it is in most places. But where I really had my problems was with opiates. And um, I'll never forget the first time a, a friend had offered an Oxycontin. And I was like, so let me get this right. We're going to split this little bitty thing that says OC on one side and the other thing that says 40 on the other side. And you, and it's going to cost what I got to give you 10 bucks for a half a pill. Come yeah, that's, on, man. that's cheap nowadays. <laughs> right. But then, then it wasn't, you know, and I remember like the first one I did, I was like, wow. I was like, wow. And I knew right away that it was something that I liked too much. And, you know, I got involved, unfortunately, and, you know, like feeding my addiction for money and popularity. And, you know, it kind of caused me to get wrapped up in, you know, starting to like sell. Um, Cause not a lot of people knew what they were and I had access um, to something that, you know, I introduced a bunch of people to, unfortunately. And along the way, I didn't realize the kind of harm, not only was I causing others, but, you know, I would definitely be call it, causing myself. And, you know, it just kind of went from there. And, you know, along the way, I had friends that were like, oh, man, I messed up. I'm going to rehab. I'm like, yeah, you're a loser. You know, you don't know how to control yourself. You know, see, if I don't need this, I won't touch it. But it didn't, it, it didn't turn out that way. And, you know, fast forward a couple of years, you know, I'm every day using. I had no choice whatsoever. And it got to the point, you know, like whether I was going to Walmart whether I was going to the grocery store, work, or family function, no matter what it was, I needed that. I had to put that in my body in order to get the feeling that I thought I need. But now I know that I was just feel, filling a void and I was unable to deal with any type of emotions on any kind of level, happy, sad, angry, no matter what it was, a reason to celebrate. I had to have something to make me feel different. And it was all out of my own fear and insecurities. But, you know, luckily, you know, over the years, I had people that pointed that out to me and I started to take the suggestions and I started to listen. And, you know, once I did, my life got better because, you know, before I, I moved to, to South Florida to get sober, I had tried for, I don't know, almost eight years on my own. I was like, oh, that AA nonsense or that NA nonsense or those 12-step programs. I don't need that. I'm smarter than these people. I'm better than these people. I will figure this out on my own. And yeah, I definitely did not. Um, just every attempt that I tried to get sober when I went back, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, until eventually when I landed in Florida and I weighed 130 pounds and I almost had my arm amputated up to my elbow from infection from intravenous drug use in my hand, you know, and I still really wasn't ready to listen. But luckily, I got surrounded by a group of people who were willing to not put up with my BS and to call me on the nonsense. And that's really when I started to get well. But that really wasn't until after treatment. 
um even after treatment i was just like man i i i really don't know where i want to be in life and i felt so far behind and I, I that that continuation of that feeling of feeling less than and being behind people that i had gone to school with i didn't think that um i would be able to bounce back you know i just i didn't think it was possible but I had the gift of desperation. I had the gift of being around people who would not tolerate any of my nonsense anymore. And I started to listen. And then my, that's when life got good. Because there were a lot of horrible things that happened along the way. Loss of job, loss of fiance. You know, the people that I grew up with wanted nothing to do with me. And I went from being viewed as like, you know, a good kid to somebody who that, you know, the parents of, of other kids, they always wanted me around. He's a good kid. He's a good kid. So like, no, I don't want you anywhere near my son or anywhere near my daughter. And um, I, I just didn't know how to handle myself. Kyle, you bring up a, a really like interesting point. And that's one of the things that, you know, we say here at Sober Guy Radio that we did, um, you know, we didn't get high. We just stayed high. And it didn't matter what the case was, especially when we were caught up, when we were caught up in our addiction heavily, you know, for me, I, I couldn't, I couldn't go a normal day, a regular day without being sober. And it sounds like that's kind of like where you were at when you were in the midst of your addiction. So if, if you wouldn't mind kind of touching on what it was like when you, when you got sober and that was no longer a choice for you, how you kind of handled those emotions, the happiness, the sadness, um, the anxiety, if you wouldn't, if you wouldn't mind touching on that, that'd be, that'd be cool. No, um, absolutely. Because I mean, that that's a big part because I was having to learn how to live sober, which I had very limited experience in my life because, you know, no matter what emotions I was feeling, I did not know how, um, how to handle that at all. And, you know, when I moved down to Florida after I, I, com I completed treatment, I'm, I'm living in a halfway in South Florida, and I did absolutely nothing for my sobriety for those first, I don't know, five, six months. And it got to the point where like I was in my car, I was on my way to get high. And luckily God stepped into my life and, you know, put a, a certain set of circumstances there that made me turn the car around. And at that point I got really, really scared. Here I am, you know, living on my own six months dry. I mean, there was no real sobriety. And I still acted the same way that I did, you know, when, uh, when I was using and I had no way of, of dealing with anything. So that night I had been around the halfway long enough to see what happened to the guys who, who were doing like I was doing and refusing to, you know, work a 12 step program that were refusing to do any work on themselves. And they were gone, man. They, they were dying. They were going back to jail. Oh, they were going back, you know, living mommy and daddy's uh, basement in New Jersey and continue to get high. And I didn't want to do that any longer. So what I did was I, I started reflecting and looking at the guys that had been working, you know, a 12 step program with sponsor from the beginning, you know, and at that point they were moving out of halfway. They had jobs. They were going back to school. And, you know, I decided, you know, that, I couldn't live like this because I was miserable, man. I was absolutely miserable. So that's when I decided to 
ask for help because at that point I had nothing else to lose because I did not know how to function without putting something in my body. And, you know, and when I started working with a sponsor, that's what helped me learn how to do that. Cause you know, uh, you know, fast forward a couple months after that, I'm like, okay, John, I, I, I'm working these steps, man. And I'm feeling a type of way. And he's like, yeah, bud. He's like, what you're feeling there called emotions and you're not used to dealing with those. So I, I'm going to tell you how we're going to fix this. And we, we dove deeper into step work and, you know, I did, you know, everything he asked me to do, no matter what it was, you know, he had me read certain, certain, um, 12 step material every single morning. He had me hit my knees and, you know, thank God for another day sober. And, you know, I did, by the time I did my four step and my fifth step with him, he's like, okay, so here's the thing. You have all of these character defects and you don't know how to change them. So I'm going to give you what, what the tools that are necessary to change that. And what he had me do was he had me write down all of my character defects. And at first I was like, man, I don't have any, you know, because a lot of us, we think that, you know, we're perfect when we're definitely not. So he had me get these little index cards and on one side of the card, write down what my character defect was. And on the other side, we worked together and we wrote down what the opposite of that character defect was. And he had me put it in a brown Dunkin' Donuts paper bag that I kept next to my bed. And he said, look, every morning when you wake up, you pull one character defect. You read what it is. You read the opposite and you ask God to give you an opportunity that day to work on that character defect and also to give you the awareness to recognize when you're in a situation to work on that defect. Yeah, no, dude, that's, that's, that's some good stuff right there, Kyle. I, I greatly appreciate That's a little gem, man. That's a, that's a, a, a great exercise. And I'm sure, um, you know, w- while you were doing that, right, there was, there was quite a bit of emotions that come up. People ask me, you know, like, how's your life like today? And I always say, man, it's amazing, right? And that's not to say that, um, it's amazing. And, and it's, it's, it's always perfect. Right. But the reason why I say that my life is amazing is because I have the ability to feel and deal with my emotions on a minute to minute, um, sometimes second to second basis. And that's one thing that my sobriety has kind of brought me and you touched on that a little bit there is that you get a feel, you get to feel your emotions. Right. And I think that for if, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, you started to feel some of those emotions as you was you were going through this exercise, pulling these cards out of the Dunkin' Donuts bag. On a side note, dude, super jealous about the Dunkin' Donuts, bro. We don't have Dunkin' Donuts out here on the West Coast. Uh, so <laughs> That's I a did, shame, man. I, I did get to get, uh, get my little Dunkin' Donuts uh, fixed when I was stationed out in New York and on the East Coast, man. So super jealous about that. But uh, so yeah, dude, that's 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 so it's it's crazy. Um, you know, what the addiction does to us and then, you know, how similar, how many similarities there are um, from person to person, from me to you. And then what sobriety does to us, how many similarities there are, you know, the the feeling, the emotion one is huge. Yeah, because, you know, my sponsor, he gave me at the time, I didn't realize what he was doing. But every time that we would meet up every week to do step work, he was giving me a little piece at a time to eventually what I would put together to be a daily blueprint for sobriety. And in recovery, that's what it's about. It's not about getting or learning everything all at once because we didn't just become addicted to a substance or become an alcoholic overnight. 
we built ourselves years into it. So sometimes it, it takes a long time to build out for it. And I was told that I would get what I needed, not what I wanted. And it took me a long time because like, I see it all the time with a lot of the guys that I work with, you know, because we're all the same. We want what we want, what we want it. And it just doesn't work that way. It's work and you have to put into it. So whether it was working on my defects of character, you know, or whether it was my relationships, because in that sponsorship family, I was not allowed to date for an entire year. Okay. But I met somebody when I had, you know, when I was, you know, almost all the way through the steps and she had over a year already. And my sponsor was like, yo, you can't date. And I told him who it was and he knew, you know, she, she was in, an active member in, in a 12 step community and knew who she was, knew she had over a year. And he's like, okay, man, here's an opportunity for growth. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, you don't know how to handle a relationship. Being sober, you have no experience in that in whatsoever. And I told you from day one, no matter what you do in your sobriety, you got to bring God into everything. So this is what I want you to do. First of all, go clarify that you guys are in a relationship. And this was extremely awkward, you know, for a guy like me at 28 years old, I have to go like ask someone to be my girlfriend, right? It's, <laughs> yeah. it's uncomfortable. So, but he told me in order to get comfortable, sometimes you got to get uncomfortable. So I did it. And then, you know, a, a couple months goes by and he's like, so how's it going? I'm like, man, things are going well. You know, she's doing what she's got to do for her sobriety. I'm doing what I have to do for my sobriety separately. And he's like, that's not enough. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, if you want to be with her, man, I told you, you got to bring God in everything. I want you to go home and pray with her. I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, you heard what I said. And he's like, if you can't do it either, I'm not going to sponsor you or she can't be your girlfriend. So, you know, I went home and, uh, and at night, you know, and I were hanging out, and then I just kind of pulled one of those like hand over the mouth type things, like, "Will you pray with me?" And she's like, "What did you say to me?" But she knew because she had been having the same conversation with her sponsor. So right there, it was like teaching me like how to do things in a sober way, whether it's working on my defects or working with you know my relationship, or whether it was how to be a good employer to show up on time for my job, how to be a good son to my parents by treating them with respect and, you know, not robbing them of their emotions, time or money any longer. So just about everything that I had, to, it's, it's basically like being an infant, you know, I was had to be taught on how to handle all of these situations without putting something into my body. Yeah, no, you, you bring up a lot of good points there, uh, Kyle. Um, you know, the, the biggest one, um, that I, that I pull from that, right? Like this is a maintaining and, and obtaining sobriety and cleanliness, whatever kind of label you want to put on it, man. There's a lot of work that goes into it, right? It's a daily, it's a daily work, right? Like this is a journey, def, most definitely not a destination, uh, for sure. And then, you know, the second point, right, is reaching out and, and, and getting help. Like this is something you can't do on your own. You need um, that mentor, that sponsor, um, that's going to kind of walk you through it, that has some, has put some years together. And I think that that's, that's super important that we talk about that, you know, especially to the newcomer out there, um, that doesn't really know is, is that, you know, this is how, this is how you get the 11 years that you're coming up on. This is how you get the, the multiple days string together as you put the work in you work with a sponsor, a mentor, 
um, and you get into a community that's going to support your recovery and your sobriety. So I think I thank you so much for bringing those points up, man, because it's something that really that we really need to drive home um, to the newcomer. And then even to me, you know, like um, the person that's been I've been in recovery for uh, coming up on nine years, you know, Hell yeah. Um, it's like it's a it's a constant it's a constant reminder um so Kyle I kind of want to get into you know we talked about some of your early your early recovery um I want to talk about what led you into the work that you're doing today um and and, and kind of talk about how you know you give back because I think that it's an obligation for those of us that are in sobriety um to give back to others that need the help that we once needed when we were early on. Um, and when we were trying to get clean. So what, so what did that, what did that transition look like from your, from your early days of sobriety and recovery into what you're doing now? Man, I had absolutely no intention in ever working in treatment. And as a matter of fact, I didn't start working in treatment until I had almost eight years um, I had sponsored tons of guys and, you know, tried to help as many people as I could, but I felt like I wanted to do more. Um, and I just, I had an opportunity cause I was in South Florida for so long and, you know, a lot of people down here knew me, you know, for, you know, always being at meetings and like helping people and, you know, doing the best that I could to try to help change lives. And when I had the opportunity you know, I, I met, you know, the owners of, uh, of Simple Path Recovery and, you know, they were like, Justin, the owner was like, hey, man, I know you better than you know me. And I was like, how is that? And he's like, look, man, he's like, I was at the halfway that you went to, um, you know, you were sponsoring guys that were there. You were coming back and you were speaking there and you were giving back and you're always at the same meetings. You're doing service. You're helping people. And like, you're known to be a man of integrity. And still, even at having like eight years, hearing that like about me because, you know, I always kind of looked and I was always hard on myself from like the, the things that I did when I, when I was drinking and getting high. And it was hard for me to like really hear that come from somebody else. Like, wow, a man of integrity. Um, but he's like, you're, you're a stand-up guy, man. When you say you're going to do something, you do it and you've helped tons of people. And that's, that's what I, that's what I want. I want somebody here that's going to represent our company and be that man of integrity and who's always going to be there willing to help. And he said, I know you don't really know anything, you know, about working in the treatment industry, but I'll show you, I'll help you. And all you have to do is be yourself and be there to help people and we can do it together and we can change some lives and you'll be successful. And, um, I was like, okay, let's do it. And, you know, I started working with her and, you know, Justin and Samantha, they started teaching me everything that they knew about, about the treatment industry. And even though like my job description wasn't to be there with the clients on a daily basis, that's just something that was like intuitive to me for me sponsoring guys throughout the years that when I'd show up to work, you know, in between sessions, I was out there with those guys smoking cigarettes, getting to know them, you know, sharing my story with them, telling them, you know, like recovery is possible and what it was like for me and what I've done since then and how I changed my life and how I was able to go back to school and get two college degrees, you know, with a with a four with a three point or higher 
and how to be there for my family. And then next thing you know, man, I have clients coming into my office. Hey, man, I had this problem going on. I had this. What, what should I do? And I really, really, really enjoyed that. And I got to see like how I could really help people on a much larger scale. And you know, to me, it's not even a, it's not even a job anymore. It's something that I truly in, enjoy doing, and I love being there to help. And you know, I, I always promised my mom too that you know I, I would be there for as many people as I could, and that's what kind of really inspired me to be there also with the families. You know, so next thing on you know when when uh, people were coming to my office, man, I'm having this problem with, with my mom or this problem with my dad. Next thing you know, like I'm on the phone talking with family members, trying to help them go in the right direction and how to heal as a family. Because in my opinion, the, the family unit is huge, you know, because the families, they, they get sick together, but they can also get well together. Yeah. Now I want to, I want to get into the family unit too, man. But one thing that I want to point out, dude, it's crazy how, you know, what, however you refer to, you know, God, your higher power, the universe, um, it always, it always puts us right where we're supposed to be at. Right. So you talked about not really even wanting to be in the, in the treatment industry or in the recovery industry, but, um, Justin kind of zeroed in on you for, for some reason, right. Obviously he saw some qualities in you that, um, you know, maybe even at the time that you probably didn't really see in yourself. And he put you, when I say he, I mean, your higher power, God, power of the universe right where you needed to be at that point in time. And it's has kind of progressed you into this position with simple path recovery. It's, it's, it's amazing. Like that story right there, um, is, is for me is, is a true sign that we are right where we're supposed to be at, um, at any given time. Absolutely. Because it, it was something, it was an opportunity like in the future, all those years later waiting for me. And, I had I could have absolutely no comprehension of the opportunities that were waiting for me in the future. But I do know this, that if I would have drank or if I would have got high in the meantime, that opportunity wouldn't have been there for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, so, let's, uh, so oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. So um, I want to get into, um, I got, I got some questions for you here. Um, I want to talk about the opiate opioid crisis um, that's in the United States, right? You, you identified as an opi, you know, um, addicted to Oxycontins, addicted to opioids. Um, you know, that's something that, you know, wasn't kind of, it wasn't available when I was going through um, my addiction. And, you know, like I've always told everybody, you know, if it was at my disposal, I would have most definitely been all over it. Um, so if you could kind of talk about, you know, what, what do you believe is driving that crisis? Well, I mean, it definitely started from the the doctors overprescribing, 100%. I don't have a, a doubt with that in my mind because I don't know what it was like out in California, but, you know, in the area of Louisiana, Mississippi, in the South, you know, and in Florida, Florida was also known for being one of the biggest pill mill industry states. I mean, that drove it 100% um, because it just became so accessible there was no connection between doctors and pharmacies and you had people that were going in one state seeing a doctor that would easily write them you know a hundred oxycontin a whole bunch of somos a whole bunch of xanax 
they could leave from right there, go to another doctor where they would pay cash in another state, and they could do the same thing over and over and over. So a lot of people, you know, that's that's how they were living. Um, the people who weren't necessarily addicts, but that's how they that's how they were financially supporting themselves. And then, you know, when people started getting hooked and they could realize they could go to all these different pill mills, and the next thing you know, everyone has an endless supply. And that, in my opinion, is what extremely fueled the fire to start the whole opioid epidemic. Dude, it's so it's so crazy. You know, I mean, the 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 medical facilities, doctors, or whatever who we trust, um, you know, to care for us. Some of them, you know, I, you know, obviously there's a good majority of good doctors out there, but the it, it's the bad doctors and the bad medical facilities that drive that addiction. And it's, it's, it's most definitely a crisis, um, today. Um, and you know, so, so have you seen any of that kind of shift, uh, in, in, in the region that you're at now, or is it still, is, are those pill mills that you refer to, are those still, is that still kind of like a thing in the South? No, all the pill mills, all that stuff has been shut down. But what you've had since then is a whole, right. So for instance, when I couldn't get pills or they became too expensive because my habit was so much, what did I do? I turned to heroin just like me and, you know, thousands of other people I, I knew. So heroin was cheaper. So the supply and demand, it just fueled the fire. So heroin became more rampant. And then, you know, the whole stuff with the fentanyl cheaper, yeah, easier to get in synthetics, cheaper, easier to get in. And it just, you know, but the, the original pharmacy stuff with the doctors, that was the spark. And then it created just such a demand. That's what really brought heroin back and really brought all the synthetics back and brought back and brought in fentanyl. Dude, it's so crazy. It's just like, it's kind of like the snowball effect, right? <laughs> it is. It was massive. And, you know, I couldn't see it coming at the time. I didn't think it would ever get shut down. I was one of those guys that was, that was seeing, you know, a crooked doctor. And um, I got a phone call, you know, from my uh, from my old girlfriend back in the day. She was driving past my doctor's office. She's like, I don't think you're going to make your doctor's appointment tomorrow. I'm like, why not? She's like, I just saw the uh, the feds taking him out in handcuffs. Dude, that's that's gnarly. So, <laughs> but luckily, they've shut, you know, they've shut all that stuff down. And I believe that in the state of Florida, they just uh, there if the law hasn't passed or it hasn't taken effect yet. But they're only going to issue a three-day supply at a time for people that need pain management because they're all people that need pain medicine that, you know, aren't addicts. Um, so the, the government and you know, the doctors and stuff, they seem to be working together. But no matter what it is, if there's money involved, there's always people that are going to do crooked stuff. And there were so many doctors out there that just did not care about the well-being of people. They would just write anything because they were opening up business for cash and they were making tons and tons and tons of money. Dude, it's so crazy the evil that money drives, man. It's such a, it's, it's so sad, right? And then, you know, you know, like you talk about the people that, that actually need it, right? Um, you know, nowadays it seems like that they have to, and, and maybe rightfully so for to protect, protect um, those people like you or I that would abuse that stuff. Um, but they kind of got to jump through the, through, through loopholes, right? Like you talk about the three day supply and stuff like that. Um, so talking about, talking about family dynamic, right? Um, Cause this is, this is one of, one of your uh, areas of expertise. Um, 
So what, what, what does drug abuse or drug use, uh, what, what is that effect that it typically has on a family? I've seen it completely destroy families. Um, you know, especially like if it's, if it's a child in a family, I've seen it, you know, completely tear apart marriages. Um, because one parent has had enough or one parent hasn't had enough of like trying to help their child with what they don't realize they are enabling. And it's, I mean, in whether I've seen it happen with parents too, it just causes a domino effect. You know, if it's a parent that has a problem, you know, the children, you know, they, they watch their parents more than anybody growing up. And then, you know, next thing you know, they become just like their parents. Or, you know, if you have a, a daughter or a son and the son, you know, becomes addicted to something, you know, a lot of times, you know, the younger kids will follow them. And I've seen it completely tear families apart to where they no longer even speak to each other, um, especially like if it leads to the death of a child or the death of a loved one, you know, the fingers get pointed and everything else. Just think about the, the worst thing that you could think of. And it, that's being planted in your home. You know, I mean, it, to me, it, it's the devil and where kind of like water, water seeks its own level. And if you let that kind of evil into your family, it will seek its own level and it will destroy you any way that it can. Yeah, that's, that's so true. It's it, the why it's like, like you say, it's like water path of least resistance, right? It's going to go wherever it's not. And that's kind of how the path of destruction works, right? Where, where, where destruction isn't there, it will soon, it will soon be there. So um, I love that. The, I love that you talk about that. So you guys at, at Simple Path Recovery, you heavily um, involve the families. Uh, what what tools are available that you guys, you know, kind of use at Simple Path Recovery um, is available for the families to use to empower um, them to, you know, obviously support their loved one that's in treatment. And then, you know, even more importantly, but seek some sort of treatment or therapy for themselves. So whenever anybody enrolls in our program, within the first week, they're getting several calls from different staff members, okay? So they'll get a phone call from, you know, our housing portion as soon as they arrive. Hey, this is, you know, Derek, I'm the housing manager. You know, your son is here, he's safe. This is what's going on. This, these are the rules we've explained to him. I'm here for you if you need any help. Within the next day, you know, generally within the next 24 to 48 hours, the therapist will call. Hey, this is so-and-so. I'm your son's therapist. I'm going to be involved. We'd also like you to be involved. We're here for anything that you need. Shortly after that, they get a phone call from my alumni coordinator, Steve. Hey, my name's Steve. I run the alumni department here. I'm going to be, you know, helping your son every step along the way, get him involved with some of the guys who have graduated from our program. This is what we do. Here's my number. Please call me if you need anything. And generally, they get a phone call from myself as well, you know, um, and I will tell them exactly where I came from, what my life is like now, and how I can be involved in their loved one's life. And we, we try to get as much staff as involved. And we also let the, the people that are involved in our program know we're calling your family. We're going to be involved with them. So we can do it together as a team. You know, and at the end, we try to all become one family and have open communication. It's all about 
accountability tools and letting people know that they're not, they're, their loved ones not just at a, at a treatment center by themselves left to their own devices. We have people watching, you know, we have people communicating, we're talking with the families. We offer family therapy if need be as well, uh, along with, with the therapist. They can come in or they can Skype. And we try to just have the whole complete family dynamic wrapped around everything. Yeah, that's, dude, that's so awesome, man. I get, um, I get a lot, of, we get a lot of emails, um, you know, from the families and I've actually, I've had my mother on the show. I've had my wife on the show that kind of, they went through that whole recovery. They were, you know, obviously they're with me, not with me, but they were there where I was caught up in my addiction. Um, you know, I was very, very, very close to losing my wife, uh, my mother, my, my father, um, and my stepfather, they, you know, they had kind of washed their hands of me because some of the destruction that I had brought to them. Um, and then, you know, obviously when I came, you know, they knew that I had needed help for, for quite some time. And then when I came to them for some help um, and, and eventually went off to treatment, there was a little bit of that unknown, right? Like what was, what was my treatment program going to look like? What was it going to mean to um, my wife? what was my actions going to mean to my mother, my stepfather, my father, my brother. And I think it's super cool that um, it, it sounds like what you guys are doing at Simple Path Recovery is you're helping um, kind of, you know, bridge that gap of the unknowns and then also help them with the stigma of them, right? Because there, there's the, the family member out there, right, that doesn't want to talk about the son or daughter or niece or nephew that is in a treatment center. So if you, if you wouldn't mind, um, kind of talk about what that, how you guys kind of break that stigma with the, with the family members. Well, you know, it, unfortunately it's becoming more and more popular and more and more acceptable to talk about, because I believe statistically what they're saying now, it's either eight or nine out of 10 families has somebody in that family that has a drug or an alcohol problem. So it, it's, it's not something that, that only affects certain classes of people now. It is a full-on epidemic, whether it's opioids, whether it's alcohol or synthetics. It is everywhere. And, you know, one thing, you know, everybody always likes to push that stuff under the rug. And, you know, even, even you know, like my family kind of like wanted me to be like real low-key about my sobriety. But the reason why I didn't have a problem with it is because People knew when I was getting high. They knew when I was being a scumbag. Even though, like, I always denied it, people knew. So what's wrong with letting them know now that there is a way out and that I'm doing well? Yeah, absolutely, man. Like, I've never really, I've never really understood the stigma thing, man, because, you know, like you said, um, when I was caught up in my, in my stuff, in my addiction and drinking and drugging, um, people knew. And, you know, it, it went from being fun party boy, Seth, to like, Dan, that dude has got a problem. To, <laughs> that guy is out of his mind to that guy needs some help. Right. So there was and I, you know, obviously I was delusional and I didn't I didn't really see that. Um, I like you, Kyle. I'm very open about my recovery, about my sobriety. I think I, I, I feel like I'm obligated to talk about it, whether it's um, to the newcomer or to the, to the clerk at the grocery store, like 
I'm open and honest about it. And the, what I don't understand about the stigma or, or what we talk about stigma is I never get that response that, um, you know, for lack of a better term that, Oh my God, you're a fuck up. Right. It's more of like, damn, you're doing good. You got your, your life together. I'm proud of you. And I've heard that from complete strangers. Um, so I think it's most definitely, you know, one of those things that I like to put out there is talking about it. You'll be, um, surprised at the reaction that you get, you know, talking about being in recovery, being sober, being clean, even going to treatment, the, the love and compassion that I get from complete strangers is, is unbelievable. Um, you know, family members, they don't hide it. Like if a family member has cancer, right? They don't, they don't, they don't hide that. And you know, addiction is a disease. So there, there should be like no shame about it because the more people that, in my opinion, the more family members and stuff that know about it, the more support that there can be. I and I, I, I'm, I'm a huge believer in the more people that you have on the more on your side, the better chance that you have at long-term recovery. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about um, enabling. So what's the difference between enabling and helping? Whew, man, I tell you what, <clears throat> it is such a fine line, and that's what I really tried in sort of the therapist at Simple Path, tried to work with the families about the enabling and, and the helping. Um, for instance, like for the longest time, like my parents, they just, they just thought like I was partying, right? You know, so like, they didn't know it, it, it was a problem. So they, my, my mom, you know, she's probably the biggest enabler in my life. She stuck up for me. Um, she would make excuses for me. She would bail me out of situations. And, but what it did was it, to a certain extent, and she did these things because she loved me, but to a certain extent, it stopped my growth as a human being. Um, because there's certain lessons that our parents cannot teach us. It's certain lessons that only life can teach you. And if we don't experience the life, you know, for ourselves, we'll, we'll, we'll never learn. I mean, obviously, we try to learn from other people's mistakes. But when you're a drug addict, there's something that you're going to have to figure out on your own. And you can't have mommy and daddy or somebody else cleaning up your messes all the time. And it's a hard, hard thing to do because as parents, we love our children or we love our family members and we want to do the best. But what I've seen a lot of times is that the family is just as sick as the addict. They just don't know it. And it's such a fine line. You know, my dad, <clears throat> I got kicked out of the, the, the place that I came to in Florida on like my fourth day. And my dad, he called me when I was in detox and he said, son, that's it. Like, we'll help you. Like if you need help, but we're not going to, enable your nonsense anymore we're not going to allow you to manipulate us we're not going to allow you to lie to us and i'm going to help you get in that place one more time because that's what it is is help to get you back into a treatment center but if you mess up again you're gonna have to have a doctor surgically remove my foot from your ass <laughs> and we're not going to give you anything anymore so you know because i have some parents you know oh my son has 30 days he's doing great i, I think i'm going to buy him a car and when he has 60 days, I'm going to get his own apartment. No, 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 no. That's a horrible idea. Because at that point, you know, 
you haven't learned the life skills that you need yet. And that's when like a program like ours comes into place because Simple Path is all about learning those life skills that you lack, picking up after yourself, waking up on time, getting a job, paying your rent on time, doing the things that a normal person does. That's a lot of times what we lack and you can't have mommy and daddy do it for you anymore. But what I do to help the families is I suggest like Narnon or Al-Anon. Um, my mom joined one of those and it helped her in many aspects in her life, not just dealing with my nonsense. And all of these steps and stuff that are in place are designed for growth, like real growth on many, many levels. And it's one of those things that you just <clears throat> have to experience for yourself in order to understand. So it, it, it's, it's all about doing some things that you've never done before and really drawing that line, you know, with your loved one about what's acceptable and what's not acceptable and not bending. Yeah, for sure. And that could be, you know, obviously that could be one of the hardest things um, for the loved, for the family member, loved one, mom, dad, you know, grandparents, aunts or uncles, whatever it is to do. Um, you know, but I think it's it, one of the most important or one of the best ways to do that is to, for lack of a better term, kind of cut them off, right? And let them learn for themselves. Um, I know that for me, you know, early out of recovery that, I didn't know who the hell I was. Like I had no idea um, what to do or, or with my emotions or, or just my, just my spare time. I had no idea. And I had to learn that. And the only way that I was going to learn that it wasn't going to be from mommy giving me a new car or renting me an apartment. It was from, it's, it was going to come from being around other like-minded people that would show me the path and the way. And, you know, for me, man, it's, it, it, I'm, I'm grateful that I was able to do that because the, some of the stuff, um, you know, emotion, the emotions and the, you know, not the materialistic things, but the, 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 what I have today is because of being made to make that personal growth. You know what I mean? Does that, does that make sense? Absolutely. Because without struggle, there's no progress. Right. And you know, some it's the, Getting sober, like, it's not supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be easy. But if you do it the right way, you will grow tremendously, and your life will become fun, and your life will become easier, and you will intuitively know how to manage things. Yeah, and so, so, and so that path is most definitely worth it in the long run. Like, it's, it's hard to see um, when, you're early, when you're early on there, but the path is most definitely worth it. Right. One of the big, one of the things I, I tell people in early sobriety the most is like where you're at right now is temporary if you want it to be. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier about we want what we want when we want it. And everybody wants a pat on the back. Hey, I'm, I'm sober now. Okay. Congratulations. You're finally starting to do what you, what you should have been doing all the time, but that's not enough. Like if you want to move forward in life, these are the things we suggest you do. This is what you'll get in return. And here's how you do it. Because, you know, anybody can stay clean and sober when they're in detox or when they're in a 30-day residential program. But where's the tools coming from that you need past that? When you don't have somebody walking you down a hallway, you know, bringing you to your next group, or you don't have somebody making sure that you're eating a healthy, balanced diet, you know, 
life skills, man. When, when, when you're on your own and you're, you're out of treatment and you're scared and you're alone and you're laying in that bed by yourself at night trying to figure out, you know, how to handle these emotions and, and how to get things done, man, it's simple. It really is if you get out of your own way. Yeah. And listen and, to other people who have come before you. Yeah. That's it. For sure. All right, Kyle, we're going to wrap this thing up, man. Uh, it's been, it's been a real honor to talk to you. Uh, I just have one more, uh, one more question for you, man, for the, for the addict out there or alcoholic out there that still suffers or is, is in early recovery. Um, if you had a, a word or a paragraph or a sentence or a whole book of advice that you could give to them, uh, what would that be? Get out of your own way. You don't know everything because your best thinking landed you in, in some situations that, you know, were not good for you. And that if I can do this, anybody can do it. And you're worth it. Give yourself a chance and listen to people who came before you. And there is a way out. Don't let your past dictate your future. Move forward. Accomplish the things that you want to accomplish because you can do it but you have to take advice from other people. You can't do it by yourself. Yeah, that's good stuff right there. Hey, Kyle, where people, if people want to find out more about you or the work that Simple Path Recovery is doing, uh, if they want to find out some more information about, you know, uh, what Simple Path Recovery has to offer, where can they find more info about you and uh, Simple Path Recovery at? Blasted all over our uh, Simple Path Recovery Facebook page. We're Simple Path Recovery based out of Pompano Beach, Florida and South Florida. Um, or you can go to our website, simplepathrecovery.com. All the phone numbers are on there. You can reach me by email at kyle at simplepathrecovery.com. And we always reply. We always reply quickly. And if you pick up that phone and you ask to speak to me, they will get to you. And I do return calls as soon as possible. So simplepathrecovery.com. Yeah, check them out. The website's super cool. They got a super cool program going. Um, Kyle, it's been an honor, man. Again, uh, I appreciate you taking the time out of your evening. You're, you're all the way in Florida um, to come on and, and, and share your story, share some of your uh, experience, strength, and hope, and, and, and what you're doing today. Um, thank you. Thank you so much, Kyle. Absolutely, my pleasure. Uh, glad to be here, and thank you for everything that you do as well, man. Yeah, much love. Thank you for tuning in today. Peace, love, respect, and keep your blood clean. Hell yeah.